God, you want to hit a dude? I'll do one bottle. <laughs> People say this is funny? Not Gary Guerra. Dave, okay. Someone or something is tickling people. Is it for fun? And this is not going to become the Tickling Podcast. Okay. You are Queen Fakey of Made Up Town. All hail Queen Shit of Liesville. A bunch of religious virgins go to mingle. And do what? Pray. Hi, Gary. No. I see done, my friend. No. No. <laughs> That's, um... No, wait, let me stop you, because I know what you're going to say. What? That's the new theme song, or that's, yeah. like, the dollop song, but yeah. it's not. Yeah. No, it isn't. Uh, we do a lot of experimental here. No. And, uh, yeah, that's it. No. Can I so, say something? What? First of all, you're not drinking a Perrier. Usually you're drinking a Perrier. Oh, I've been doing... I'm using... I, I make the sparkling water at home, and I put it in the Nalgene. Ah, uh, yeah. yeah. Soda machine, baby. So I have a Perrier... A very small one. A small one. And on the side, it says, Discover Street Art. Facebook.com <laughs> slash Perrier. Oh, cool. So, hey, where'd in. you find out about, uh, about Banksy? It's funny. I was actually drinking Perrier. <laughs> and uh, they keyed me into it. I'd never heard of it before. <laughs> I didn't know what street art was, and now I'm just... Super into it. I also Space Invader. You heard of that guy? Yeah, he saw. Fucking Perrier turned me on to them. Perrier turned me on to them as well as sex. Like I didn't know about fucking until the side of Perrier. So they tried putting it inside, play just the tip, and I was like, oh, "What? God, I love good new, good choice Perrier." Yeah, and I put the tip in, and it ended up going the whole way in. Yeah, and then I had my girl got pregnant, and um, I asked Perrier what to do, and it said, "You can." Get rid of it. You can you get know. an abortion. So I found out about that. <laughs> so it's really been guiding me. Perry is great. Great. <laughs> hey, I have to uh, shout say out. a shout out to Doctopus. Yep. Who Which is, is a great band name, by the way. It's a great band name, and they're a great band. And uh, they said that they'd listen to the, they burned through the dollop on their travels in the United States. And I went and saw them last night, and they were fucking awesome. Fantastic. And uh, they shouted oofty goofty. So. They shouted oofty goofty. Check yep. your mic to make sure the settings are all correct. Yeah, it is. I got the regu- this little guy, right? Yep. Yep, that's the guy. Oh, switch that one. Which one? That one. This one? Yeah. There we go. That's it? Yeah, I think that's it. Was everything bad until then? No, it was okay. I just thought it needed to be a little bit louder. Sure. You know, break it out a little bit. Sure, 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 Blow sure, this sure, shit sure, out. Excuse me? We're in Gareth's house. Yeah, this is your first time. I've never been in the Gary before. Is it called the Gary? The no, actual... Why Why would it be? My name is Gareth, uh, so no. I don't know if I believe that. The year was 1864. <laughs> We're starting. Yeah. All right. Carl Akeley was born in Clarendon, New York, and grew up on a farm attending school for only three years. A good amount of time back then. Well, you get into the second grade, and you're like, oh, I'm good. Pretty sure I know most of nothing, everything. <laughs> <laughs> He was a quiet, soft-spoken, pale, skinny farm boy who loved animals and nature almost to an unhealthy degree. (laughs) Well, here we go. Uh, (laughs) We'll be hearing about that part again. It bordered on obsession. (laughs) While his friends were out studying and playing, Carl was out in the woods drawing realistic pictures of animals and plants in his own blood. Uh, hey. Uh, you have a question in the back. Real quick, uh-huh. just a question. Go ahead. He was uh, painting, which is great. Yeah, I love to paint. And it was the paint, it was his blood. Yeah. Well, it's the nearest thing that's available. Besides paint. Well, 
uh, paint, you have to go to the store. Whereas if you're going to use your own blood, you just, you know, poke a hole. Okay. There's more arguments against blood, but let's just keep pressing through. <laughs> Eventually, this led to taxidermy, which he thought was far more fun than farming. Wait. Eventually, this led to taxidermy. So yeah. he just was painting. He was painting with his blood. With his blood, and then he was like, "I feel oh, like just should, stuffing them." Uh, yeah, I should. I should put them full of stuff. Okay, uh, the dead ones. <laughs> oh, that's nice. Carl spent hours and hours in his room studying a taxidermy manual ordered from the back of the magazine Youth's Companion. Wow, I mean, yeah, that was a great mag. I can't believe that thing shut down. Yeah, Youth's <laughs> Companion. <laughs> It's a magazine. And in the back is like, how do stuff dead animals? <laughs> you know what? Maybe just make a friend. Hey, this is Youth Companion talking. Hey, this is Youth Companion. Do you not want to have any friends at all? <laughs> Buy this manual. Buy this manual and then pay attention to the ads in back. The manual was only $1 and instructed readers to work in secret so that no one may know the mystery of the art. Also... Because if people knew you were doing taxidermy when you're 12, they're not going to want to go anywhere near you. That's you're, like when like, like uh, somebody who touches kids is like, your mom and dad will get mad at you. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, it's also, it's also very, uh, I wouldn't say pedophile but it's like, it's like serial, it's, serial, serial killer-ish. It's don't super tell, weird. Don't tell anybody yeah. you're fucking around with dead animals. Yeah. Don't hey, tell anybody. Don't tell anyone you're putting uh, stuffing in dead animals' asses. They'll not, look at you different. They don't do it through the asshole. We'll, get, we'll get more into it. I know you do. I've always done it through I the asshole. I, okay. <laughs> he was able to teach himself the procedures of taxidermy up to a point where he felt justified in having business cards printed announcing that he did artistic taxidermy in all its branches. So he's so, bragging about so it. So go ahead and go pass those out downtown. Yep. How you doing? Uh, hey. Artistic taxidermist. Where are you going? <laughs> You're 12, right? I'm 12 years old. <laughs> Halfway through my life. Under his bed, on his windowsill, on every free surface in his room were dead stuffed animals. Chipmunks, robins, squirrels, wrens, everywhere one could look. Easy place to take a girl to. <laughs> <laughs> the animals were covered in a solution that kept flies from enjoying the dead. Great. I'm sure that smelled fine yeah. and scentless. The whole room smells, smelled great. <laughs> oh, yeah. Preparation of the solution. To half pint of 60% alcohol, add an ounce each of arsenic, camphor, alum, and a bit of strychnine. Shake it well and let it stand for 12 hours. Label poison and keep the bottle well corked. Hey. Hey, Carl, what you doing in there, buddy? Huh? <laughs> Nothing! <laughs> With my poison! Like, can I get a marker and some more poison labels? <laughs> Nothing! No parents. <laughs> uh, uh, Carl used his taxidermy as escape from his solemn home. There was a podcast over the house due to the deaths of three of his infant brothers. Okay. His mother's grief kept her wandering about the home like a ghost. All right. So let's just... Just from, a, psycho let's just from a psychological standpoint. <laughs> sure. Uh, three... Infants have died. Yes. And now the mother is like a shell of a person, and the boy is upstairs trying to save the dead. So I think everything's fine and good here. <laughs> Sigmund Freud would not be overwhelmed. Nope, nothing, nothing, nothing here. Nothing there. Nothing to see here. <laughs> uh, what is going on inside the house? <laughs> nothing, Siggy. It's all normal. Move on. Just a bunch of poison lacquered stuffed dead animals and a bunch of ghosts. 
This one is labeled Mommy Love Me Too. <laughs> I mean poison. I mean poison. Over the years, his mother had come to blame his father, and she turned all her bitterness on him, attacking him constantly for failing to give her a good life. Things were only made worse when his father paid another man $1,000 to go fight in the Civil War in his place. <laughs> wow. Always. A, I mean, it's a tough call. It's emasculating, but yeah. But either way, you're fucked. Yeah. You're either going to die or you, people are going to be like, you are a huge pussy. Yeah. The man survived the war. <laughs> And then was able to collect interest on the debt for years, sinking the family further into poverty. Ah, uh, he made a bad deal. That guy, but the guy who went and fought made a great deal. Oh, yeah, that guy's yeah. <laughs> like, fucking yeah, baby. I'm you. Keep giving me the money. <laughs> at some point, one of Carl's aunts became alarmed at how pale and unwholesome the boy looked. A 13-year-old boy shouldn't spend all his time in his room with dead animals. It was a disgusting habit, and now other children were teasing him and taunting him. His aunt was especially concerned for Carl's soul because he refused to stop his disgusting hobby on the Sabbath. Okay. That's... every Most of it's fine. <laughs> but the fact that you're doing it on the Sabbath. That is not your day. I'm okay with all the dead things. Listen, you're very pale for a 12-year-old. You need to stop cutting up squirrels on the Sabbath. <laughs> That's the problem here. That is the problem. By the way, also, the kids were having a fucking field day. Oh, my God. Could you imagine? Oh, I mean, Could I would have imagine? just. Yeah. Oh, I would have. Relentless. I would have murdered him so bad he would have had to stuff himself. <laughs> for that behavior. <laughs> the aunt wanted to take him to the county asylum, which is only a half a day's ride from the farm. But that all changed. <laughs> when his aunt forgot to put the drape on her pet canary's cage one night. Oh, shit. The bird was found dead in the morning. Oh. Carl quickly came to the rescue, cut it open, stuffed it, and mounted it right back in the cage. <laughs> now it was all good with the ant. Oh, <laughs> Jesus Christ. That's... Uh, what a selfish bitch. <laughs> oh, now that I've seen the magic. You're fine. We're all fine. Uh, Mama, let's dig up the babies. I'll make our house better. <laughs> you see, there's no problem here. Everything's full of life still. It looks at you. Its eyes never closed. It loves you. It loves you. Look into its eyes. Carl then got a job working for David Bruce, who is making a nice living as a decorator during the current nature craze. Oh, what a what a rush that was. <laughs> what is the nature craze? Okay, he painted wildlife murals in Brockport, New York for rich people in their parlors. So everyone was into like making stuff look it's just like they li wanted like to live wild. in a rainforest cafe. Yeah, like that that wall should have like a, a bunch of bears on it or you know whatever. Yeah. They just wanted wildlife shit everywhere. Sure. Beats outside. <clears throat> Bruce lived just a couple miles down the road from the Akeley family farm. At once he could see the boy had something about him and dead animals. He just knew. Very perceptive. A true calling. <laughs> Some would say. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. He's so good with the dead. He's great. Did you see what he did to his aunt's canary? <laughs> My God, it's like it still chirps. Carl had no knack for mixing paints or cleaning brushes or sketching starfish, but whatever a whenever a chance arrived to stuff a bird or a chipmunk for one of the cabinets Bruce assembled for his clientele, Carl was all over that. So what I think that means is that people would order... A cabinet, and they'd want birds on top of it, or a squirrel. Sure. 
What I mean, what's the downside to having dead not, birds on your cabinet? Not creepy at all. Nope. I find it charming. <clears throat> Bruce saw that Carl was far more gifted at taxidermy than he. After a few months, it became obvious that unless people just wanted their homes decorated in all dead animals, this wasn't the right job for Carl. Yeah. Instead, Bruce advised Carl to apply for a job with the famous Ward's Natural Science Establishment in Rochester, New York. Okay. Carl followed the advice. (laughs) He stood nervously on College Avenue, staring at 14 white buildings for a while, then got enough courage and entered. He stopped a man carrying a large, stiff anteater. (laughs) You got to stop that guy. (laughs) Buddy, what's happening right now? Where you going? Where you coming from? Well, if you're trying to find a taxidermist and you see a guy walking by with a stuffed anteater, you go, excuse me. Oh. You look like you might know where I'm going. Oh, my God. As a taxidermist, you're like, oh, just play it cool. Play it cool, man. Don't blow this shit. That is the mother of all dermies. Holy moly. Okay, just play it cool. You don't want it, and maybe you'll get it. Play it cool, man. Don't freak out. Don't freak out. Don't freak I out. I don't know if I can fit you in, but uh, maybe. Uh, he asked the man where he might find Professor Henry J. Ward. He was directed toward a building where a stuffed ape sat on the front porch. And he was like, I'm home. Oh, just These stuff. are my people. Professor Ward was held in high esteem and had helped several of the country's best natural museums get off the ground. Carl was hired by Ward at a starting salary of $3 and 50 cents a week. Boom. Yeah. Bringing it. Fucking Buy that's, yourself a couch. That's the money there. Yep. Three fifty. <clears throat> he would work twelve hour work days, have room and board taken out of his salary, and there were no holidays or sick days. Cool. So it's a great job. That's perfect. And he gets to work with dead things all day. Oh my god, heaven. <laughs> and uh, there was absolutely no sleeping on the job. That was like an. It was like a. They said that there's no sleeping on the job. That seems like that would make you want to sleep on the job. There's no sleeping on the. Well, I'm very tired now. (laughs) At 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 this point, Ward's business was like an assembly line for natural history museums, right? So they're just cranking out, cranking them out, putting them in there. Huge money is what we're saying. Yeah, big fuck, fuck you, squirrel money. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The art of taxidermy, as practiced at Ward's, was very simple and yet typical of the era. To stuff an animal, the skin would first be treated with salt, alum, and arsenic soap. The bones wired and wrapped and put back inside the legs. And and once hung upside down, the skin literally stuffed with straw or sawdust until it could hold no more. Ugh. So that sounds good, right? Yeah, it's just like making a baseball. <laughs> <laughs> it really... It really takes a lot of the shine off of being yeah. like my canary's alive. It's like you know, its bones are wires. But who who is like that's that's what I want to do? Oh, like yeah. who is? No, there's something wrong. You, yeah, no, I think you just need it. to have three of your brothers die, <laughs> and then you'll be there. Wait, you also had your brothers die? Oh my <laughs> the god! The day they make that connection. This is so weird. What about you, Jeff? Four, four brothers. Oh my god! All of our brothers died. <laughs> now let's put some wires in these anteaters. Uh, shapes and contours would be achieved by simply beating the detail into the mount with a plank of wood. Mm, just the, the delicate touch of <laughs> beating it with wood. 
<laughs> the end result was a lump of fur that sort of looked animalish. Perfect. Akeley thought this was a terrible way to go about stuffing dead animals. But Carl found little of the inspiration he sought in the job. He was critical that much of the work lacked any anatomical accuracy. Okay. He, he was like, I want... He's the stickler. He wants more. Sure. He's the guy... I think that's fair. He doesn't want it to be an assembly line. He wants it to be beautiful. He's passionate about it. Mm-hmm. I get it. <clears throat> the process often left lumpy, misshapen monsters literally stuffed empty animal bags. Carl was embarrassed by his profession. In truth, the art of taxidermy was no different than the craft of upholstery. Which is true, the way that it's... Yeah, no, that's not a... I mean... Not not wrong. <laughs> but there are some differences. But I can think of a couple things. There might be psychological differences. <laughs> he thought taxidermy should be used to make exhibits that could give museum goers an accurate look at wildlife with the stuffed animals in something that looked as much like their natural environment as possible. What a lunatic for wanting these <laughs> museums to actually portray what it, nature was. Yeah, because you probably just went in there and you were like, there's just like a ball of fur and you're like, yeah. that's a beaver I you think. probably were like there's this one species that we're learning so much about today it's this really mushed fur species i've never heard of it how are all the animals round yes all of the animals are round and beaten with wood <laughs> why is there straw coming out of its mouth uh he's alive oh so okay no more questions over uh -uh. here you'll look at some more mush fur <laughs> I would love to get some pictures of this. Oh, God. <laughs> During this time, Carl began to experiment with his own style of taxidermy. Renegade. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Renegade, cutting loose. Uh -oh. But Ward did not want any fancy thinkers going off and trying to give their animal stuffing dreams on the... Trying to have their animal stuffing dreams on the on his clock, right? Sure, yeah. Uh, but that was... Uh, but that left a, a Carl to working at night. He'd stay in work and was experimenting on new ways of taxidermy. So he's... Can't sleep during his job. He's working twelve-hour days. He's working twelve-hour days. He uh -huh. can't sleep during that, and then at night he's going off on his own. Yeah, he's doing he's doing extras. He's plugging the guitar into the amp. <laughs> I get you. On one occasion, he stole a zebra, <laughs> a dead one, obviously, oh, good. and worked on it through the night until dawn. He set about skinning and molding the body. He managed to remove the entire skin through one incision to the belly. And smaller cuts to the lower legs, which he slipped off like socks. Sexy. Gross socks. When he was done. Skin socks. Yeah. Yeah, girl. <laughs> no, girl. No, what? When he was done, it looked like the zebra had leapt out of its body. So success. Uh, it finally looks like an animal. Okay. You mean the, he stuffed the skin alone, so it looked like the zebra... Or you well, mean he, he cut it. He cut it, and he pulled it off. So, it, you, well, I'm talking about the after you take the skin off, what the zebra looks like. Right. Cool. Because usually it would be. That's all, not really workable for. Well, uh, I think it's pretty great. Nah. He then hung the skin up to dry, as you will do. Those are not things you want to be saying about a person. I don't know. But after he slept, he came back the following day to find that someone had opened the zebra skin up entirely, and it was mounted in the old way, and his cast thrown out into the dump. Fuck off, fancy boy. I bet he was fine with this. What are you doing there, bitch? Hey, man, quit your revolutionary stuffing. It ain't art, man. <laughs> yeah, just make another mush fur. Put more fucking hay in it. <laughs> <laughs> this became a theme. He was repeatedly sabotaged by his fellow co-workers. 
We got ways of stuffing dead animals, smarty pants. Hey, Toe the fucking line! We threw the corpse out again, bro. What are you gonna do now? What you gonna do, man? Maybe we should stuff him. Maybe you stop slipping shit off like socks, eh, bro? <laughs> yeah. Eh? Uh, what a bunch of assholes, too. I don't, I don't know why they turned to Latino uh, guys. Well, they, they they became an aggressive street gang suddenly. <laughs> and, uh, I don't know. We just went there. Uh, then Carl and Ward had a misunderstanding. Carl was too ambitious and too careless, and even a bit arrogant, and he boasted that he was an artist, not a sculptor. Fuck yeah. Professor Ward fired him. Oh, he also fell asleep on the job. <laughs> well, he was Which up all night skinning zebras <laughs> like socks. He never had a chance to explain that to Ward, <clears throat> that as a young man late at night stuffing a squirrel, he was doing it for the betterment of society. He was unable to make that clear? But he never, no, he got fired, right? He just said, they were like, you're sleeping. And they were like, that's it. That was, their, that was the problem. Um, so that was that. And he went to work in New York with taxidermist John Wallace. Ah, the famous. <clears throat> uh, quote from Carl. A more jury six months I have never spent anywhere. <laughs> yeah, taxidermy has a dark side. Oh, you sure? I thought taxidermy was a dark side. <laughs> nope. okay. It gets worse. <laughs> oh, no. <clears throat> I guess the dead animals sucked here. Uh, Carl was stuffing and mounting birds for the hats of ladies on Fifth Avenue. So you can just picture that fall from okay. Grace. He was like, two months ago I was skinning zebras trying to slip it off like socks, and now I'm making hat birds. <laughs> I mean, so hats were awful back then. Uh, are you sure? Awful. Oh, I love your hat. It's fucking crazy. <laughs> oh, it looks like a bird lives on you. It is. It's a bird and a squirrel. Whoa, that's great. In the 1880s, trendy bonnets were piled high with feathers, birds, fruit, flowers, furs, even mice, and small reptiles. What the fuck? <laughs> what are they doing? They're like, they sound like background players in the Jungle Book. The craziest thing ever. Is it snakes? Yes, snakes. People one-up. Like, yeah. I, I, oh, did you see Margaret? She's wearing an alligator on her head, that bitch. <laughs> She's rolling in it. Birds by, by, were by far the most popular accessory. Women sported egret plumes, owl heads, sparrow wings, oh, an owl and, whole, head. and whole hummingbirds. An owl head. Man, look at her, huh? <laughs> look at the gams on that dame, eh? Mo to be that owl. I kind of want to hit on you, but I'm terrified that there's an owl that keeps looking at me. Nope, not an owl. The head of an owl. <laughs> yeah, a whole owl. Maybe better, I guess, <laughs> than just the severed head. You look like a shaman. You're scaring me. <laughs> a single hat could feature all those birds. What? That's not a... <laughs> Plus four or five warblers. If I had a time machine, I think my first stop might be to this time to just be like, No! Then get back in. <clears throat> that there should be an owl or an ostrich left with a single feather apiece hardly seems possible, Harper's Bazaar reported in 1897. Jesus. In 1886, Frank Chapman went to the Women's Fashion District on 14th Street to tally the stuffed birds on the hats of passing women. <laughs> he identified the wings, heads, tails, and entire bodies of three bluebirds, two red-headed woodpeckers, nine Baltimore Orioles, five blue jays, 21, 21 common terns, a saw wet owl, and a prairie hen. In two a hen? A, 
I, I'm just like trying to figure out when they're going to be like, we've gone too far. Owlhead sounded like it. A I'm prairie hen sh- on I'm your sure head. At some point, someone's like, I'm putting a dog on here. And yeah. like, that's <laughs> yes, it. Yes. That's it. Well, I would love to see what it was. <laughs> yeah, it's just the sitting dog on my head. Doesn't your neck hurt? It's fucking killing me. <laughs> but I'm the bell of the ball. Um, in two afternoon trips, Chapman counted 174 birds and 40 species in all. So he's like a bird watcher on Fifth Street. Yeah, bird watchers are probably just like, you can just sit here. (laughs) There goes a wren. Yep, look at that. Across the world, it is estimated 200,000 birds a year were killed and ended up as fashion. Must have been so fucking confusing for birds at first, too. They were probably like, Henry, Jesus Christ, what the fuck? fuck? I came over to say hi, but you're just staring at me. Dad, Ah, (laughs) it's just the head of Dad. (laughs) <clears throat> Carl worked in a dark, dank basement in a moldy warehouse under the Brooklyn Bridge. Healthy. The, the workshop stank of death, and the sound of whistles of passing tugboats and other vessels was, was endless. So now it's like a bad movie, right? Uh, horrible. Turn. Yeah. His boss, John Wallace, was a short, intense man with a Cockney accent who loved the shit out of beer. <laughs> Akeley and the other young taxidermists, mostly boys. So it's like a bad summer job. Yeah. It's like a – or something you do after you get out of college. Yeah. What are you, what are you doing? Uh, you know what? I haven't figured out yet. So right now I'm just uh, – just You want stuffing. a job stuffing birds for hats? <laughs> okay. Cool. Come to this basement that smells like mold. <laughs> oh, fuck. <clears throat> they would all come in and sit around a table on wooden benches. Hunters would come in with bags of dead birds from New Jersey or Long Island, and Wallace would haggle with them. Then the bag would be dumped onto the table. Sometimes 400 birds a day. Oh, my God. Four, oh, my God. Bluebirds, sparrows, waxwings, whatever they could shoot. Just a big, bloody heap of dead birds on the table. Carl would reach into the pile, pull out a bird, skin it, quickly shape it into something that would look great on a lady's head, and then move on to the next one. His fingers bled from the sharp bird talons and the sewing needles. He would often skin 100 birds a day. Ah, then the birds were dried, boxed, and shipped off to the fashion district. The dead bird on a hat was at its peak fashion-wise, and Wallace had the best reputation for quickly skinning birds. This is another thing that why, like, in movies that take place around this, why has nobody exploited the fact that birds were on Fuck, heads? Fuck, I have no idea. It's insane. <laughs> yeah. Why wouldn't that, how is that not in all movies it's a pretty, of that type period? It's a pretty great detail. Any movie that is taking place yeah. around this time, the 1890s, it should just be all dead birds on hats. I remember gangs in New York. I don't remember one not, bird hat. Not one bird hat. Not one. Not one. It's also a different time period. He was completely Fuck. depressed and no longer considered himself an artist. He thought he deserved his purgatory for being arrogant when he was at Ward's. Okay. Sure. So, when Henry Ward came after Carl declaring that his, his dismissal had been an erroneous mistake, he happily returned to his former employer. Okay. So things I, are well. Things are not good. They're but better. Things are are better than working in the bird heap. Yeah, but he hated. Yeah, we're back though. While there, his biggest job was mounting the famous elephant Jumbo from P.T. Barnum's circus. Wow. Okay, that seems like a pretty good gig. Jumbo died in a terrible train accident, and Carl and his supervisor Critchley were sent to complete the five-month project of mounting Jumbo. Wow. It couldn't have been easy to mount a. No. 
Especially when you're rusty because you've been doing birds. Yeah. You've, and, and I mean, who knows what a train accident does to the body of an elephant. <laughs> There's also that. It can't be good. I'm sure it's not good. It can't be great. Yeah. Carl left Wards after three years and took a position at the Milwaukee Public Museum. Hey, oh, been there. girl. Been there, so girl. So you've, you've seen some of his work. Sure. Yeah, apparently. A lot of it's still there. <laughs> then I have, yeah. It became the turning point of Carl's career, where over the eight years that he worked at the museum, he was able to put into practice many of the ideas he had theorized over uh, his during his day at Wards. He was a, also a prolific inventor, at this time perfecting a cement gun to repair the crumbling facade of the Field Columbian Museum in Chicago. He is today known as the inventor of the shotcrete, or the gunite as he termed it at the time. And can you imagine a day without gunite? I, I mean, I, I love to just go out with my shotcrete and just blast some... I, are some we shotcreting this week? Yeah, we are shotcreting. Okay, because yeah. I didn't know if you... All right. Oh, no, I got, I got it all set up. We're going right, to perfect, perfect, perfect. We're going to a couple of Starbucks. Yeah, I can't wait. <laughs> Over his lifetime, he was awar- awarded more than 30 patents for his inventions. So he's no dummy. Yeah, but he... Uh, no, no dummy. But he also invents stuff like the shotcrete. Right, so... Totally useless. Yep. <laughs> it was at the Milwaukee Public Museum that he revolutionized taxidermy. He created realistic-looking animals surrounded by their natural habitat. He dedicated his life to making the most lifelike dead animals around using plaster and modeling clay while paying special attention to the musculature, behavior, and skeletal structure of the animal. He went out of his way to make it look like it was still alive. To take it a step further, he then put the animals in lifelike environments, devising new ways to create lifelike trees and plants out of wax, wire, thread, and other stuff. He made sure that any museum exhibit he designed was lifelike and as realistic as possible. But what... Uh, that's good for him. Uh, but why... <laughs> why was there anybody who was like, no, don't make it You know, people hate, people hate change. Yeah, but... <laughs> but, okay, so you're working in taxidermy and you're taking, like, a skunk and you and you... And, you and just, I've mushed it into a nice you, ball. You, yeah, you basically just fucking shove shit in as fast Beat as you it can. With wood, go, yeah. There's a skunk. And now some guy's like, look, man, that's got to look really great and yeah. more like a skunk. And then you have to make a skunk environment. Yeah, if you're that dude, you're like, I don't want to be here 15 hours a day. I want to fucking punch yeah. the clock. See, I'm the talent scout in back. You know, yeah. I'm like, all right, I like what this kid's saying. <laughs> it's, I'm telling you, it's just people didn't want to do the work. I mean, I feel like people with birds on their heads would be pretty understanding. Well, that's that's a good point. Thank you. His first project indro- involved the portrayal of a Laplander driving a caribou sled over the snow. This successful project was followed by another exhibit involving orangutans collected in Borneo. So he's fucking doing it. Yeah. He's uh, living the dream. Borneo, where uh, Mufti mm-hmm. Goofti is said flatly <laughs> He also took his first trip to Africa to hunt his own animals for the museum. Okay. His hunting trips did not always go well. Well... Curious why. On one particular day, he was in Somalia checking out the wildlife. Hunting alone, he shot a hyena and a warthog, and then left them in a secure place and continued hunting. That's probably not a good call. <laughs> why? Are you saying that in, well, in Africa in the 1900, that there isn't like a, a, like a lockbox? Yeah, no, I I I feel like that's gonna bite him in the ass. Like you don't think there's like a hunting locker that you no, throw your stuff? No, no, I feel like it's probably almost like bait. Oh, yeah. Well, that's interesting. That's yeah. an interesting theory, isn't it? Hmm. Later in the day, he went back to his spot, but instead of finding his dead hyena and warthog, 
he found two big bloody streaks leading into the bushes. <laughs> Ooh, I should probably go see what that is. <laughs> Carl heard noises and froze. It took him just a second to realize what was happening, but it was already too late. He raised his rifle and fired to try to scare off the animal, but that didn't work at all. Suddenly, at out of all. the suddenly out of the bushes leapt a gigantic leopard. Ugh. Carl was unable to get his weapon pointed quickly enough, so he dropped his gun and threw his arm up just in time to pre- prevent the beast from ripping out his throat. Ugh. The leopard latched onto Carl's left hand, biting down with everything it had while kicking him with its back legs. Jesus. The classic two pronged cat attack. Yeah. <laughs> double, double down. It's also, I mean, on behalf of animals, it really has a lot of ass to kick out it of it. It does. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when he tried to pull his hand out of the leopard's jaws, it only made the cat bite down harder. Oh, so he's basically fucked. There's not a lot of winning moments no, here. No, this is not going well at yeah. all. So that's the end of the doll. Was it a good story? It's really good. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's not. Actually used his taxidermy brain and punched his fist down into the leopard's mouth. Oh, shit. Greatest move of all time. Well, the leopard was like, that's a first. I didn't. That's new. A first. (laughs) Congratulations, my friend. Note to self, don't eat fists. This is his first live taxidermy. (laughs) It's exciting. Uh, so, you know, if this ever happens to you, if a leopard's ever eating your hand and punching you in the gut with its back legs, you just cram your fucking hand deeper into it. Because the leopard gagged. Because it was choking. Yeah, it gagged like a baby. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> then Carl pulled his hand out and he grabbed the leopard and body slammed it to the ground. Then he jumped on it with both knees. Whoa. Now it's like professional wrestling. Now, like, other leopards are like, we should get the fuck out of here. I don't know what's happening. (laughs) And then he crushed it to death with his knees. Jesus Christ. Yeah. How do you feel about Carl now? I feel feel like Carl's a little Hugh Glassy at this moment. A little Hugh Glassy. Yeah. So now he was bleeding from a shitload of terrible wounds to to one of his hands. One of his hands, his hand was shattered. Uh, his torso was clawed up, and also at the same time he was recovering from a bout of malaria. So when this happened, he was already a little woozy. Sure. Well, uh, a leopard attack will make you feel a little. It's a dizzy. lot. Yeah, it's a lot. They they say if you're getting over malaria to not fight a leopard. Yeah, they've always. It says that <laughs> right on the antibiotic bottle. <laughs> Take with food, no leopard fight. Don't fight leopards. Don't fight leopards. But if you do, you, just punch but- through it. <laughs> He was barely able to stand, but he did. And then he picked up the leopard and threw it over his shoulder and walked back to camp because he's a taxidermist. <laughs> While lions so were just like, uh... feels, even though he feels like shit, he's like, well, I'm not leaving this here. Well, I didn't realize I was working still, but OK, <laughs> still on the clock. You're coming with me, bitch. <laughs> God damn. I mean, you also want it just to like go up to other people and be like, so I killed this with yeah, my hands. With my hands. What did you do today? Uh, oh, really? You just made a bird hat. Just see Good a, talking. I just want to see a guy walking back to camp whistling with a leopard over his... <laughs> Kill the leopard. Hey, my hand's fucked up. This what'd thing you, died uh, from my knees. What'd you guys do? Make a fire? Oh, cool. Way to go. Uh, went back at camp. He did a little taxidermy, taxidermy and presto museum exhibit. Leopard. Jesus. The encounter the Times wrote, 
uh, of the encounter, the, the Times wrote, Eckerly had been bitten and clawed to shreds before he finally succeeded in throttling the enraged carnivore. The cat's body grew limp, and for the first time in history, one of great one of the great jungle felines succumbed in a fair fight to a weaponless man. It's crazy. Weaponless. Weaponless. Weaponless guy beat the shit and out of and <laughs> killed a leopard. Beat a leopard with his hands. Carl was photographed, his arms and bandages, standing alongside the strangled leopard. I'm going to use that one for the picture for the. Episode. Oh, great! Yeah, his eye. He eyes his former adversary, the leopard, with deep suspicion, as if the animal might yet return to life and bite his head off. Understandable. It's a great picture. Uh, but did this life and death struggle keep Carl away from heading back out to nature? <laughs> My guess is, fuck no. no. <laughs> he married his wife Delia in 1902. She accompanied accompanied him on expeditions to kill and stuff animals. So bring the lady out. Of course. Right? And she participated completely. Okay. One of the family elephants, one of the family African elephants in the African Hall at the Museum, American Museum of Natural History standing today, was shot by his wife, Delia. Jeez. He remained with the museum for eight years when, due to his outstanding work in both taxidermy and museum exhibits, he was offered a position with the British Museum in London. Good. Stepping up. Yep. He accepted it, and on his way there, he decided to stop off at the American Museum of Natural History in New York. Right. While there, officials at the Field Museum heard about the offer from the British Museum and made a counteroffer. Wow. So now they're fucking bidding on the taxidermist. <laughs> He's like a hot commodity. <laughs> wow. Yeah. What crazy. do you mean you're not coming? We've already made a deal. I, I got a better uh, deal over well, here. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> Uh, the New York Museum offered him a much better contract and the opportunity to go on an expedition to Africa to secure specimens. He accepted on the spot. Okay. He agreed to work for free. Interesting. Interesting move. what's happening here. Interesting move. I don't know what's happening here. Okay. The only man who creates a bidding war uh, for nothing. I'm terrible at negotiating. (laughs) I'll do it for zero. But if you two both want me, I'll do it for nothing. (laughs) (laughs) I think I got a pretty good deal. (laughs) Uh, he agreed to work for free as long as the museum would finance him in, finance him on a bunch of trips to Africa to collect specimens. So all he wants is to be able to go to Africa and get his shit paid for. That's fine. Free travel. Sure. That makes a lot of sense. But that means he's killing animals, just so we understand what he's doing. Yep. Yep. Carl saw this as a mission of conservation instead of as a guy shooting animals and putting them back together so people on another continent could look at them for fun. In the early 1900s, it was a time when every dude with a few bucks headed over to Africa and shot the living shit out of beautiful animals. What? It was just was the thing. It still happens now. I know, but then it was like, then it, it was, was the thing. It was almost, it was like a, a bird on a hat, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> Carl was worried that this senseless destruction of wildlife would end up completely depopulating entire swaths of the African countryside. Oh. So. He should just learn to have his government not worry about that. Yeah, I agree. Way better policy. So he went on a simple mission. Observe the wild animals, get between two and five various breeds of African wildlife, preserve their hides, and memorialize them in a lifelike sculpture so they look exactly like they did in the wild. Except... Without a beating heart. <laughs> except without the life part. You can't explain that to the animals, unfortunately. You can't. They look at it as just a murder. 
Guys, I'd like to work with you and have you just stand still for a few years. But I've also had a leopard eat my hand and know so how you get. I'm going to kill you. So your memory will live on. Carl wanted future generations to know what a hippo looked like. And he assumed they would soon be extinct. So what better way to help people remember animals than by killing them and making them into stuffed animals? Right? Sure. Logic. Yep. So off to Africa he went on several chips. Eckley and his wife were now becoming a famous hunter couple written about in US papers. Oh, of course. I mean, everybody, it's just like today with our famous hunter couples. Yeah. The it hunter couple. In 1909. Who on, hunted it better? <laughs> Who hunted it better? In 1909, on Yusin Geshu Plateau in Nairobi, his party met up with the hunting party of Theodore Roosevelt's Smithsonian expedition. Oh, shit. So he's banging with the big boys. Bully! (laughs) (laughs) Ex-president Roosevelt had already been in Africa for five months collecting animal bodies for display at the Smithsonian, many of which are still there today. Now, he was the president when he did this? He just gotten out of office. Okay. He literally got out of office, got on a boat, and went and fucking shot animals. Okay, because it would just be so amazing for a president. I know. I mean, well, it would be like Take five months off and just shoot in. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. tell George Bush. I'm going to take five months off and go kill animals. Uh, okay. Yo, it'll be worth it when I come back and you see what a hippo is. <laughs> Our infrastructure. Quiet. Pipe down. Hippos. Hippos. Uh, overall, Roosevelt and his companions killed or trapped approximately 11,400 animals. What? <laughs> From insects to moles to hippopotamuses and elephants. Roosevelt was funded by Carnegie, one of the richest men in the world. <laughs> yeah. And, what, and Carnegie was like, just come back with everything. Oh, I thought like eight yeah. or nine, not all. Uh, ele- five months, 11,000 11, animals. 11,400 animals. I mean. On the second day together, they came across a herd of elephants and Roosevelt and his son killed four. It's a little much. Since elephants are huge, their skin can take 12 hours to remove. So Carl and his crew were able to save the skins from two large cows and a calf. The skin, bones, and tusks were placed on wagons, then onto a train, then onto a boat and shipped to the U.S. So he... So Roosevelt shot some animals. He... And then he and his dudes in Africa just fucking cut them up and... Send them home. I mean, basically, you're taking out all of the meat. Right. That's what you're doing. You're just yeah. removing all the meat. And then just being and like, don't need s- that. And then you send everything else back. Perfect. <laughs> and someone, and then there's a a, a cross shipment, and a lady opens up a box expecting hats. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> this isn't my luggage. <laughs> And that's when people started wearing <laughs> elephant bones on their hats. <laughs> the latest trend. However, a bull was needed for the completion of the family diorama for the museum. Right? A, so a you, what was? A bull. You got to have a you sure. got to have a daddy because you got the two the two ladies and the baby. Yeah. Now you need a daddy, right? Go get them. Go kill 900 of them for it. That him. became Akeley's goal. There were a few large bulls remaining. Because of the ivory ivory trade. So basically, the ivory trade was happening, and there were hardly any big elephants left. Right. Days turned to months, and Carl's spirit suffered. He became ill with several ailments, meningitis, spirulium fever, black fever, and others. 
and others. Yeah, he had them all. Jesus. His wife, Delia, became his nurse as he fought off the ailments in his cot in his tent. She would occasionally head out when an elephant herd was reported nearby in an attempt to end the search for the bull. Carl kept getting out of his cot and rushing into the jungle only to have a relapse and be brought back in a hammock to start his start the battle with his ailments all over again. <laughs> so he would just like get I up feel delirious. better. I feel better. I'm good. Let's go. Oh, my God. It's hot. So hot. So tired. I'm so hot, but I'm shivering again. I want to lay down in this mud. <laughs> uh, so Delia was going insane. Then the museum wired that they weren't going to be getting any funds anymore. <laughs> the expedition had gone on too long. So oh, they really? Were, they were cut off. So, so the museum's like, yeah, I get that you're in Africa. I don't know how you're going to get back, but we're done. Have you heard about the numbers Roosevelt's putting up? 11,400. Kind of looking for something like that. He shoots an elephant an hour. <laughs> an hour. An hour. He kills an elephant an hour. <laughs> So, the Exleys sold their small farm to continue. This Good. Is, now now it's just... Now they're digging into their own. Now it's what just... Started it's out, a matter of principle. What started out as a, a job that should have been a paid salary and uh, free trips to Africa is now turned into him paying for everything. Retrospect, right? Yep. That'll, that's why you uh, always have to get paid for your job. <laughs> Soon they did uh, run into a large bull. Okay. They shot it, but it did not go down. Mm. Then they shot it six more times. And? Still no. Okay. But then the elephant decided, okay, this is not fun. Then Carl coughed into its mouth. (laughs) (laughs) So he decided to charge. Oh, good. And they shot it again. And? It stopped. All right. And then it started coming again. Okay. (laughs) It's the Michael Myers of elephants. Yeah, it's just not taking no. Now both Carl and Delia are shooting the elephant. Small puffs of dust rise whenever the bullets penetrate his skin. He stopped again. And? He charged again. All right. This time Carl shot him in the brain and down he went. What were they, yeah, what were they shooting with? With raisins? <laughs> the old raisin gun. <laughs> My God, these are raisins! Delia looked at him and said, I want to go home and keep house for the rest of my life. A fair request. Fair request, but they didn't. Okay. Things were not the same in Africa for Delia as they were for Carl. She was healthy? When they arrived in a new area, drums would announce that a white woman had arrived. Normal. Good to feel. That's a good way to feel, right? Good, good. Feels good. Just one of the people. Oh, oh, so what are those drums saying? They said white woman is here. White woman, come. White woman is all of our white woman. Um, um Carl, uh, I'm gonna, I'll be in the hammock, my love. <laughs> what the fuck is going I, on? I feel very malaria-ish. I'm going to lie down. <laughs> After the drums would sound, villagers from all over would come to seek medical attention. From, oh, God. You're a doctor. Hello, white woman. White woman, fix me. White woman, I have a stump. <laughs> stump? Yeah, it's stump. You oh. do something about stump. I can't put a limb back on you. Thank you, white woman. Okay. Carl? <laughs> Carl! She had no knowledge of medicine, but would give them what she could. The villagers always seemed happy about it. <laughs> Thank you, white woman. That's nice, though, that they were easy. She easy gave me pills. Yeah. I see you again. <laughs> Your eyes were closed. It's a miracle. (laughs) Sometime later, 
Carl was hunting without Delia on Mount Kenya. He saw the biggest elephant he had ever seen in his life. But he he got his white whale. Never enough. It's never enough. With never these people. enough. What if you kill it's a big like elephant Hollywood. and then you see a bigger one? You're like, no, I gotta kill that one. No, oh, man, I, I got it. I got it. I mean. I'll do that one, then I'll go. Okay, it's like blackjack. It. Okay, this is my last one. It, oh my god, there's a bigger one. All right, okay, I'm down down fifty dollars, but I'll just <laughs> one more big hit, and I'm in, baby. I'm in. <laughs> so he and the African dudes who were carrying all his gear followed the tracks of the beast. A rainstorm broke out. The rain was intense and driving. Carl followed the elephant into a thick wooded area. Uh, I'm gonna go ahead and be on record. Bad call. No, this is fine. <laughs> no it way, it's fine. There, the crew lost the tracks of the elephant. That's, by the way, real bad. Well, here's the thing about elephants. They're considered one of the world's most intelligent species. Elephant brains have more mass than those of any other land animal. The elephant's brain is similar to that of humans in terms of structure and complexity. So what I'm saying is, is the elephant walked into the woods and then slowly backtracked on his own footprints like the kid in The Shining in the maze. So the, the elephants. <laughs> That's what I think happened. I am excited to find out what the elephant does. Because the huge elephant came charging out of nowhere and hit Carl in the face with its trunk. Oy. Cutting Carl from ear to ear, making him look like the Joker, breaking his nose and knocking him into the mud. Jesus. One can only assume Akeley screamed, Oh, it's fucking on! Yeah. Right? Yeah. Because he then leaped to his feet and no. wiped the blood out of his eyes. Okay. Now, all right. Mm-hmm. What? Wait a minute. What? Are we about to get into a man-on-elephant fight? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Just then, the elephant lunged directly at Carl's chest with a tusk. He's an elephant! Carl! Okay. Now, Carl has obviously seen the Matrix movies. Because he grabbed a tusk with one hand and then slipped himself between the two tusks. He did the old tusk between? The tusk zone. He went into the tusk zone. Yeah, total freedom. Where the elephant's like, well, not it's, good. It's like the eye of the storm in yeah, a hurricane. Totally, like, yeah, totally, Can't get me, bitch. <laughs> oh, what no. you gonna do? And the elephant's like, God, fucking, <laughs> what is this shit? No tusk jumping. <laughs> That's against the rules. Come on. He figured he couldn't be impaled to death when he was in between the two impaley things. Fair. Fair. The elephant was like, oh, no, I got other, I have other stuff. I, I know other things. It smashed its entire head down into the mud, Jesus. slamming Carl into the ground and crushing him with its 24,000-pound elephant head. He should have been crushed to death. What but, do you mean should have been? But the tusks hit something in the ground, like stones or roots, that stopped them just short of... Ugh. I should have been crushed thin as a wafer if tusks hadn't met that resistance, he said later. He said later. Meaning? Yeah. No. Usually a, char- a, ch- usually a charging elephant would gore or trample or hurl its victim around its trunk. Carl had seen another victim who an elephant threw down, walked on him, then squatted and rubbed back and forth across the body until it was smashed into the ground. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of adorable. <laughs> Kinda. Squishy, squishy with my butt. Look at him, he throw peanuts. <laughs> but Carl was lucky. The crazed elephant, who in its defense had just been strolling around and then got followed by a bunch of assholes. Yeah, the crazed elephant. Yeah. Uh, the elephant started chasing the African porters around. It then ran off to the woods and was like, now, I'm you, going... now you know. Yeah. 
Now you know, okay? Wow. What did I say to you? I said, don't follow me up this shit. And what'd you do? But Carl, Carl should be saying to the elephant, now you know. He's Carl got broke, joker face. Carl broke a half dozen ribs. Jesus. Uh, which produced a punctured lung and blacked out from the force of being headbutted by an elephant to the ground. Fair. 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 So the native guys looked at Carl and were like, oh, he's dead. He's dead. That's a dead guy because he was crushed unconscious, bloody, and just generally fucked over by an elephant. Yep. Now, members of the Swahili Mahudans and the Kikuyus. Very great tribes. Will not touch a dead guy. Okay. Because of Bola. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it was apparently against the religion to touch a dead body. They did build a fire, though, and to warm themselves. To war- Very nice of them to do that. And then they left. Right, great. Okay, see ya. They left Carl in a few inches of wet mud. Carl woke up five hours later and looked around and was like, well, can I get a little help? I got Hugh Glass. Get- <laughs> Motherfuckers, Hugh Glass me. All the porters were gone, and he was like, what the fuck? Yeah. Back, yeah. back at camp, Carl's wife, Delia, was kicking it with the two, when two porters came back and told her he was dead. Well, that's not really what happened. First, they came back and walked over to the chef and had a casual conversation and laughed a little bit. Delia was curious because she knew they were the porters who had gone out with her husband. Where's Carl? They seem to have such a fun conversation. Then they leisurely strolled over her and said, oh, by the way, Carl's dead. And uh, we're all going to have eggs tonight. (laughs) Just talk to the chef. The rest of Carl's guides had gone back to their villages. She said she wanted to see the body. The porter said, we're going to (laughs) pass. Nice. Yeah, we're good. Yeah, I mean, he, he's the guy, and he had the money and yeah. stuff. Yep. She then threatened them at gunpoint and told them to take her to the guides. Oh, we'd love to take you. Yeah, no, now that you we've put, always said we wanted put, to you take like you. That. What did you hear? Yeah, no, let's do it. So they did. The guides, however, passed on helping. So she took the porters out into the jungle, and then at some point fired three shots into the air. Carl responded with three shots of his own. They followed the sound and found Carl laying in the mu- in the mud, still saying, "What the fuck." Hey. Hey, I thought we had a... Little help. Remember when I said little help? Little help. Little help. Carl was a dreadful sight. The elephant's trunk had scalped his forehead, closed one eye, smashed his nose, and tore open one cheek so that it hung down and exposed his teeth. Mm, Many ribs were were broken, lung punctured, and blood was running out of the corners of his mouth. They brought him back to camp. My love. They might die, stuff me. Black blood. You are a diaper fluoride. Stuff me. Move my cheek into my mouth again. Look, I can breathe out of the side of my face. Look at me. (laughs) Good fun, right? They brought him back to camp and moved into one of the porter's tents, and he drank an entire bottle of alcohol, some broth, and took some quinine. Then he passed out. (laughs) When he woke up, his wife, Delia, was by his side. She nursed him back to health over the next three months in the camp. Several times a week, she would go out and hunt birds and antelope and other game for Carl to eat. That's not going to help her get away from the cred of being a medicine woman. <laughs> She's done nothing to fight white that lady case. Here. Oh, don't worry. If you're dead, just go to the white lady. <laughs> She'll touch you. Carl was dead. Well, um, sort of. Not. No. No. Actually, <laughs> a little. No. I mean, not at all. He's I alive. was not dead. Yes, you were dead. 
You died. You died. I see. Bye, Carl. <laughs> see you around. <laughs> when he was healthy again, they set back out on their adventures and went to Uganda. They, well, well, just take fucking no what? for an answer. Yeah, no, listen. The world is, the universe a, is telling you something. He's got a plan. He's got an idea. He's His got, plan should be to go home. Well, he's got shit he's working on. Now he's done, he's already killed the bull. Um, no, there's more bulls. <sighs> they came across a gigantic crocodile sunning itself on the other side of a river. All right, okay. Okay, what, So what? here's what I'm going to say. Okay, go ahead. No, not leave it be. No. Leave the leave it be. Disagree. I, Why would you leave it be? Uh, it's sunning itself. <laughs> maybe you don't have one in your uh, museum. And maybe that's an okay or thing. Or you only have nine. Oh, Christ. So Carl shot it. Then one of his porters dove in and swam across the river to get the croc body. But he never made it. He was grabbed by another croc that was underwater and quickly chomped him to death. Yeah, I mean, he really doesn't know how crocodiles operate, I guess. He's like, <laughs> they're water-based, too? So Carl was like, I, can, I got this. And he did. No. While shooting at some crocs and his porters beating others away with sticks, he made it across the river. But he was like, all right, so that was hard, so I'm going to take an easier way back. So he turned the dead crocodile into a raft and... Paddled across using his rifle. Just in front of its family? Just like a fucking asshole? Crazy man coming through. Excuse me. Pardon me. I'm on your dad as a boat. <laughs> Scoochums. <laughs> oh, my God. Hey, you guys on the other side. Check out what I'm about to do. This is going to be so great. Hey, look at me. I'm on the SS Crocodile. I made a boat. <laughs> <laughs> Just fucking... What an asshole. Total asshole. <laughs> so then he brought it back to camp and stuffed the shit out of the crocodile. Oh, yeah. Just another day at the office. Just another day at the motherfucking office. Unbelievable. Soon after returning to camp, Carl, down with, Carl came down with malaria. Now, <laughs> so this is his ninth bout. Oh, he gets malaria every other day. If the days where he doesn't have malaria, let's just call those the days we talk about. <laughs> Delia, once again, nursed Carl back to health. Uh, over a long period. Now, Delia and Carl had an odd marriage. Uh, what about it's odd? Well, just, the, you know, I, mean, I think we know a lot about what's odd. But they also didn't have any kids. They were childless. And it got even odder with the addition of a monkey. Um, Delia became fascinated with monkeys and other primates. <laughs> she would watch them for hours on end. At some point... She decided communication between primates and humans could be established. Not, not off. She did quite a lot of work in this area and did discover man and primates could communicate. It was mm -hmm. all going well until one of her porters captured a baby vervet, a small monkey. Okay. She studied it for a bit and was about to release it back into the wild when she decided she liked it too much and mm -hmm. kept it. Oh, boy. This poor <laughs> vervet. <laughs> the monkey was named J.T., <laughs> Do we know what it stood for? <laughs> I don't know. Jane Thomas? It was a female. Delia vowed to never punish the monkey, no matter what it did. Weird policy to have with a vervet. <laughs> no matter what you do. No matter what you do. Oh, God, it took out my eye. Mommy still loves you. Where are you? The monkey eventually began eating breakfast with the Akeleys, and then... Sharing a cot with Delia. So this is all good. It's just a fun monkey. Do I have to say anything? It's, this is going to be fine. 
I don't think it is. Over time, the monkey became aggressive. <laughs> See? Graduating from nips to full bites on anyone it felt annoyed by. I graduated from nips in 98. <laughs> Great school. Going to bites now. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm actually at bites you. <laughs> JT was uh, rewarded with this biting by being brought to Manhattan to live in the Akeley's apartment. That's it. You've bitten us so much, you're going to the big city. <laughs> <laughs> You'll learn, JT. You'll learn. <laughs> JT had her own room, ate with the family, and basically become the couple's only child. <laughs> JT began shredding Delia's clothes, and then anything that wasn't bolted down was destroyed. That's a good boy. <laughs> or girl. That's a good girl. Oh, I wish I hadn't made that policy about Well, that. I can't punish her. Oh, boy. It's a real shame, too, because she's it. a fucking nightmare. What an asshole. <laughs> I wish I could go back on that promise I made to no one. Well, anyway, here we are, <laughs> dying from monkey stabs. <laughs> Delia became prisoner to the animal. At one point, not, not leaving the apartment for three weeks after a monkey playmate she gave to JT died. Here's a friend... Oh, man, I just won't go out anymore. Nah, that's it. I'll stay in with you. <laughs> I live with you forever. I have to stay with you, monkey. <laughs> Crazy monkey. <laughs> JT grew more wild. It pulled tablecloths with dishes off the table, ripped, yeah. ripped the curtains, flooded the bathroom, destroyed the pillows, and bit anyone around. He was probably just trying to do that magic trick where you just yank the sheet. Yeah. Yeah. Up until the la- up until the biting anyone around, it, it was just Curious George. I, I mean, it's what you'd expect from a wild monkey. Yeah. Oh, it's oh monkeys are wild. Yes, I'm oh, sorry. I should have explained that. I see what's yeah, going on. Yeah. One day, the monkey bit Delia on the ankle. She waited three days to call a doctor. Uh The leg was swollen and infected, and required surgery to be saved. But Delia wouldn't leave JT, so the surgery had to be performed. <laughs> the surgery had to be performed in the apartment. <laughs> so. In other words, Dave, what you're just trying to tell me is that the woman who had uh-huh. an infected monkey leg uh-huh. insisted on having the surgery around the monkey. Uh huh. Okay. And I'll let do- you know when any red flags <laughs> pop up. And the-, <laughs> and the doctor was like, oh, fuck, it bit me. Uh- <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> that didn't happen, did it? No. Oh, my God. I was so like, so awesome if it did. All right. I'm living here, too, with my weird monkey leg. Okay. You know what I'm going to do is I'm going to go to the hospital and get surgery. Don't. JT will feel shame. (laughs) You do that to him. It took six months for her to recover. Delia stopped going to all social functions and seeing friends to spend all her time caring for the monkey. If you can believe this, the marriage suffered because of the monkey. Why? Because she wanted to have sex with the vervet? I don't know. Then JT bit her wrist horribly near a vein, and Carl was done. Yeah, okay. He arranged to have the monkey sent off to a zoo in Washington and quickly shipped the animal. I think she's going to hate that. Well, you, giving up your baby like that. Not easy. And it, 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 trust me, this is a great baby. Yeah, it's a great baby, besides tearing arteries out of your arm every I mean, now and then. I mean, it's just fun to have a monkey in the It's house. fun to have JT. That's classic JT. We've always said that. Oh, JT. Always ripping mommy's veins. <laughs> 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 
Uh, Delia then volunteered to work uh, for the American forces in France in World War II in 1918. She just up and bailed. She didn't return for over a year. Carl, Carl filed for divorce on grounds of desertion. They were diver- divorced in 1923. Okay. A monkey ended the marriage. Not just any monkey. Sweet little JT. <laughs> At some point, Carl became obsessed with gorillas. Oh, God. Not. He was amazed by them. No. He invented a portable video camera to tape the beasts. Hollywood took to the camera immediately. It was used to shoot all those old newsreel videos. Okay. He fucking invented wow. the camera. Wow, Jesus. But the gorilla would change Carl Akeley's life forever. He killed and stuffed a couple, but it felt different than killing other animals. In November 1921, Carl was in the Belgian Congo stalking silver-backed apes. <laughs> what could go wrong? Normal sentence. What, what, <laughs> it's okay. I'm friends with a monkey. It's okay. My daughter's a vervet. <laughs> I'll show you a picture when I get up that tree. Yeah, yeah. Seriously, my daughter's a vervet. Seriously, my daughter's a vervet. She ended my marriage because she tore my wife's artery out of her arm. She worked to the war. Anyway, keep catching up. Carla's guide saw a large male silverback on the other side of a canyon. They set out to climb up the other side of the canyon, which was a brutal, brutal near-vertical climb. Okay. Carl felt the fever coming on when they set out, and by the time they reached the top, he was a sweaty, feverish mess. Nothing new there. (laughs) Nothing new there. I don't feel good. Do you want to stop? No, let's go to the top of the cliff. I mean, at this point, they should stop calling malaria malaria and call it Carl. (laughs) He came down with a horrible case of Carl. Yeah. Uh, So... They clung to trees. They got to the top. They clung to trees, nearly hanging over the cliff, and they saw the ape. A guy took aim and shot, striking the beast. It fell directly towards them. Uh, That's not good. The gorilla fell between Carl and the guide, just missing taking them down to their deaths. But Carl's relief quickly turned to concern as the gorilla catapulted over the first ledge. Luckily, it stopped at the lip of the canyon, snagged on a tree. So this is a beautiful sight. This is horrid. Carl climbed down to the spot with a porter who held onto his feet as he worked on the gorilla. If any of the branches on the tree snapped, Carl would fall to his death. Using a jackknife, Carl cut and tugged away the gorilla's skin. He cut out the gorilla's heart and handed it to the porter. Then he took out the brain and the liver. Uh, There's more coming. All done. I'm getting all the big pots. Get a second basket. <laughs> but he felt sickened like he never had before. Why on that branch skinning that gorilla? <laughs> he severed off the gorilla's head. It would be great right after that if he just looked to the sky and went, what's it all about? Because <laughs> he cut a gorilla's head off. Have I made mistakes? <laughs> yeah. What's your plan for me? Oh, this is a weird time for a midlife crisis. Boy, I really, I really miss Delia. I should get a nice car. <laughs> he kicked the innards off into the canyon below, and he worked until his fingernails were loose, which was actually a common part of his trade because arsenic made it difficult to keep one's fingernails. Mm, more upside. <laughs> Good. Good. Another perk. Another perk of the job. Look, I don't have fingernails. Hey, and I look like the Joker. Do you want to fuck? Yep. 
Then the porters packed up all the bones, the skin, and the other parts, and they headed back to camp. They made it just before dark. At the camp, Carl sat with the gorilla's head in his lap. Who's a good boy? <laughs> Hello, Mr. Furry. My smell is mama. What are you doing? Staring contest? Oh, nothing. Uh, Just talking to my son, Head. Hey, Head. Hey. How you doing, girl? (laughs) Girl. He felt deeply unsettled that he could see the character in the animal's face. This was a first for an animal for him. Okay. He could see the personality in the severed head. Uh, Most of the personality was like, I don't know. A little sweet? A little, yes it is. A little sweet. I mean, he's having a moment. If he's able to look at a dead gorilla head with some sort of empathy, there's something (laughs) there, I guess, right? You can't fault him entirely. Holy shit, these things are alive. (laughs) Yeah, this thing's got feelings. On the journey back to New York, Carl reevaluated his life. He would no longer kill animals and stuff them and put them in museums. Humans. He suddenly saw what he was doing as barbaric. He believed what he was doing was murder. Okay. So that's what happens if you cut off the head of a primate and put it in your lap and look at it during dinner or yeah. whatever. If you just keep – if you cut off the head of an ape and then you just keep staring at it, eventually, eventually you feel a little weird. However, meanwhile, across town, Roosevelt could be heard shouting, Pussy! <laughs> Winner! <laughs> I'd punch that head. <laughs> I'll eat soup out of that thing's head. Give it to me. <laughs> I'll drink its skull. <laughs> He spent the rest of his life working for the establishment of a gorilla preserve in the Verringas. Wow. In 1925, he influenced King Albert I of Belgium to establish the Albert National Park. It was Africa's first national park. While opposed to hunting them for sport or trophies, he remained an advocate of collection for scientific and educational purposes. So I assuming he's saying once they died of natural causes. Yes. Like if a if an if a elephant was like heart attack, yeah. and then it fell over, and then you'd be like, okay, fair that one, fair. fair, that one's fair, fair. That's a fair grab, Gen Z. Yeah, and you can see the heart exploded so much that a bullet like substance <laughs> shot through. Since the National Park for Gorillas worked out so well, Akeley then went on to convince Roosevelt to set up the American National Parks Association and establish a ton of national parks and wildlife preserves in the states, including some pretty key parks designed to protect the California redwoods. He went from being an avid hunter to one of the world's first environmental conservationists. That's fucking nuts. In 1926, he returned to the Congo to observe gorillas. But this time, Carl Akeley would not return. He caught a fever and died at the age of 62. He was buried where he fell, near the top of a mountain between two peaks measuring 11,000 feet in elevation. 86 years after his death, his life's work is still immaculately preserved in the Akeley Hall of African Mammals at the American Museum of Natural History in Manhattan's Upper West Side. The World of Taxidermy and Fish Carving Championships awards gold medallions that bear Carl Akeley's likeness. <laughs> Based on a photograph he had taken at Stein Photography in Milwaukee. How the fuck was he not stuffed? <laughs> How do you not? Right? Yeah. I, I mean, mean, it's seriously. nice that you bury him where he died, but seriously. it's so much better to be like, yeah, let's put hay in him. Stuff me. Stuff I, w- I him. would say 
that would be my, my that'd be my DNR. Yeah. Do not resuscitate and stuff. Stuff. I've oh always said I wanted to be stuffed. I would love to be stuffed. Just sitting there in the fucking. My I want to walk by me. I'm just in the corner. Yeah. Urgh. No. Well, what you want to do is you want to have like you want to be like one of those novelty keychains, and you want to have your catchphrases. Oh yeah. Put on buttons on so your. So when chest. my wife walks by, I just go, "Hey, girl." Yeah. Go Giants. <laughs> go Giants. I'm gonna go play with Finn. I'm gonna go play with Finn. I love you too, hon. I love you too, hon. You look good. You looking good. <laughs> what smells so good? You or dinner or both? What smells so good? You or dinner or both? <laughs> That's fucking insane. Okay, so it's crazy that... Okay, so first his 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 infant brothers die, and then he becomes a taxidermist because of that. I mean, I even but forgot then, about his brothers dying. That's how crazy this is. He marries a woman and they don't have kids. So he allows her to bring home a monkey to serve as their child because he's so fucked up. How is it sounding about- crazy again? <laughs> I just learned this shit. Because <laughs> he's so fucked up about infant deaths. Oh, that yeah. he's like, yeah, we'll bring a monkey since we can't have a baby. It's so fucked up beyond words. <laughs> I think I think your words just did a pretty good job. There. <laughs> and that guy is the the man who started modern day taxidermy. Uh, well, uh, um, <laughs> pretty speechless after this one. <laughs> That's insane. It's totally normal. That is an insane fucking story, Dave. Yeah. So uh, everybody wins. Anyway. <laughs> December 1st, you and Will. <laughs> uh, I don't think there'll be a small up this week because it's just too busy. That's crazy shit. But you got that one. Yeah, I think this should count for two. <laughs> I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Yeah. All right. Any, any last words? Um, bully. <laughs> Oh, hey there, everybody. It's Gareth, you know, from this uh, this podcast. Uh, listen, I've got some stand-up shows. I'm inviting the Garmy, the Gareth Army, to join me for. I will be in Fort Collins, Colorado, August 18th and August 19th. I will be in Minneapolis, Minnesota, August 24th through August 26th at Acme. I will be going to the UK in September. Please join me. I will be in Glasgow, September 13th, London, September 15th, Dublin, September 17th, and September 19th, Manchester, Birmingham, September 20th, Bristol, September 22nd, and Cardiff, September 24th. And then in November, I'll be in Australia. November 10th, almost sold out, I think. I'll be in Melbourne, Australia. Then I will be in Northbridge, Australia on November 15th. Adelaide, November 16th. Canberra, November 17th. Brisbane, November 18th. And then I will be in uh, Sydney on November 24th. Go to GarethReynolds.com for tickets. Garmy, let's get at it. After it. Let's see you there. Hey there, people listening to The Dollop. Uh, this is Gareth. Yes, the same guy. I Listen, I have a new podcast called We're Here to Help that I'm doing with my friend Jake Johnson. It's basically a call and advice show where we don't say that we're professionals because we aren't, but we try to help people with problems that are important to them. You can listen to it wherever you listen to podcasts, and it is out right now. So go listen to We're Here to Help with Jake and Gareth. We're here to help. 
with Gareth and Jake. I don't remember how we did it. But either way, fun. Half Hour comes out Tuesday, August 22nd, and the episodes will be out every Tuesday and Friday. We're here to help. 